This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we're refining and redefining the sales game, and we are continuing on with our series of agencies who give back and today from Everett, Washington, we have Miss Claudia McLean from McLean Insurance Services. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It is our pleasure. You know, I, we were talking about it briefly before I hit the record button. I think you were the number one name. It was a. It was. You were in the running. It was. It was between you and Mike Stromzo, and oh based on the based on the amount that you've already been smiling since we've been talking, I don't know which one of the two of you is a happier person. <laughs> well, Mike, Mike is definitely a great mentor and friend. So um, Mike definitely goes to the top of my list for sure. There you go. It's good. So I'm sure that a lot of people who are in our audience know who you are, have heard of you and some of the things that you've done. I mean, I literally just like put together a whole chain of conversations from two and a half, almost three years ago at this point that helped me re- you know, know who you are. Just give everybody a little bit of background about what's going on with your agency, and then we'll dive in with questions and stuff about some of your community involvement and things after that. Sure. Well, our agency is uh, kind of a a, a bit unique in that it's uh, uh, 43 years old. I started at scratch, one client at a a time back in 1977, and uh, we now have uh, nine team members and uh, support a, a, a personalized premium of about... 9.5 9.5 million, uh, and we have um, about uh, 40, no, excuse me, 3,800 clients, and uh, each of them, you know, kind of our average policy per client is about 2.45, so we are, we're about slow and consistent growth. Uh, we're all about retention and all about um, what we call the three C's, which is really our clients, our community, and our coworkers and everything that we do try we try to stay focused on those three things. I'll tell you what that is a lot of personal lines premium yeah. for that part of the country, right? Yeah. If you tell me that you were there in Florida, I think you might have like six clients. I, mean, I wish I had your premiums. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You don't our want my headaches under a thousand. <laughs> yeah, you 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 don't want my headaches though. I can promise you that. I mean that's that is impressive. That comes with a lot of responsibility too. I mean, you have to have, how have you, 
I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many ways I can go with this and so many questions I can ask. I mean, the, the one thing that sticks out to me more than anything else is technology yeah. and how you've been able to adapt. I mean, starting 1977, I was four years old and I can remember going to the state farm office with my dad, where the receptionist was still allowed to smoke in the lobby when you walked in, um, you know, and I just, I, I would, I'm interested because I'm always intrigued when people have been in the industry for a longer period of time than what I have been just to sort of get their thoughts on the migration of technology over that time, because I've seen how much things have changed in the 17 years I've been doing this and you've got me beat. Well, the growth of technology has been just exponential, especially in the last 10 years, let's say, but it's always been um, a factor for us. And, and uh, back in the day when I started the agency, um, while I started as a personal lines agent, uh, independent, but with a limited number of, of companies that we represented, um, there was a lot of pressure to become, you know, to, to kind of expand into other arenas, especially commercial. And um, we tried it for a little bit. Um, and one of the things that we realized is that, um, and that's one of the things I really admire about you, you David, is that you um, you know what works for your agency, and you stay in your lane, and you expand on it, and you make it, you know, better. For us, we learned that what we liked was working with families and individuals, and we liked the control that at that time personal lines, you know, had much more than commercial lines. You know, you could develop, you could pull out a book, but you could deliver a, a rate very quickly where with commercial lines, everything was sent off to underwriters to, to quote and the rest. And so for us, that was um, that was kind of the key for us just defining ourselves as a personalized agency that, that wanted to prefer, to stick with the preferred business and really focus on the, the growth and the retention. And um, the technology has helped us to do that. And when we've gotten into relationships with carriers and the technology, for that carrier isn't exactly as was expected or promised. Oftentimes that'll make a difference in whether that carrier retains a place in our agency or not. Um, because if we can't be efficient and we can't deliver on the client's expectations, which are you know, becoming more and more uh, demanding in terms of speed of, of response and the rest, um, we're, we're not gonna be able to compete with some of the other um, you know, uh, options in the marketplace. I agree. And I'm glad to hear you say that about the carriers might not have a place in your agency, because I don't think that we stick up for ourselves as much as we should. You know, too many, too many agencies out there are wanting to get the next carrier contract. You know, it's crazy. You, you get the shiny object syndrome with technology products and everything else, but it's no different with, with insurance companies, right? Somebody goes out, they lose a piece of business to one carrier who just so happened to have a great premium on one, that one piece of business, next thing you know, they're going out and they're wanting to change the face of their whole agency because they have to have that carrier contract. That's what will ultimately make them you know, successful when in reality, what you really need to do is make sure you understand what your carriers you already have want, what mm -hmm. they're really good at, and then just feed them. You'll be fine. Absolutely. And, and depth of relationship, not only with your clients, but also with your team and with your carriers is huge in our industry yeah, because it's that that allows everything else to happen. I agree. I, you know, so many things that we can talk about, but I mean, one of the things that drives me nuts is when I hear other agents talking about an adversarial relationship with an underwriter. 
I've never had that. Like I, you know, I've got some underwriters that I don't necessarily agree with, but they're also carriers we all we don't place business with. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at least in critical mass. You're laughing. I know exactly where you're going because of the conversation you had yesterday. I mean, Kyle, it, it Kyle, continued. It continued into this morning. Oh my goodness! Well, it was a it was a copy and paste situation from the previous comment, and I just I, like I had to walk away at that point. Yeah, I, I, I hear your name and talk about that though, because this is the kind of crap I'm I'm talking about. This is insane. Yeah, so I um I was quoting some business for a print shop, and um, printers, you know, is something that we were trying to get coverage on. And the underwriter asked a question about um raffle tickets amongst other things, and I I verified with the with the prospect that um, they weren't doing those other things. She said, but we did, we did print, you know, some, uh, a, a very small amount of raffle tickets for like a party or, or whatever it was. Okay. So I relayed that information in the underwriter. One time though. One, one time. time yeah. They yeah. Did that. I was like, right. And, and so I relayed that information and they were like, okay, we can't do the printers, you know, you know, that's not acceptable under any, under any, you know, uh, amount or quantity or, or frequency for the raffle tickets. I was like, Okay. And, and a bunch of other stuff she'd listed in there too. And I was like, okay, that's all fine. I, I'm having trouble understanding the raffle ticket portion of this. Um, you know, can you elaborate? And the, the, <laughs> the subsequent comment was basically, it's not, it's not in the appetite. We can't, we can't write it. There's no exceptions. I was like, I'm not, I'm not asking you to make an exception. I just want to understand what about the raffle ticket specifically that's exposure specifically is unacceptable. Like why I, I'm trying to understand this. Yeah. He, he, he was wanting them to educate him on why right. it's an issue. He asked me, I'm like, I honestly don't know. I've never yeah. run into this before. Right. I mean, maybe, maybe if they print a bunch of raffle tickets and they're all the same number or something and yeah, really and it's, a prize drawing that, that could be the case. But the, the, the point of the whole thing was it was like literally somebody was reading from a manual and then copying the answer and pasting it. They're not even giving you human interaction anymore. It was and crazy. It, it, and, and, and yeah, right. And my last response to it was, was just that I was like, look, like I understand you're not going to write it. I'm not trying to get you to write it. I simply just want to know why the raffle tickets are unacceptable. Like I find it amusing that you won't tell me it's crazy. And then it was a copy and paste. Of Which the, last the fact comment. is at this point, the fact is they don't know, like this person has no clue why they won't do it. They just know that this, it's like the people that monitor. They, sh- they should be able. They should be able to ask somebody, and that person should know. Like it's they like should the people have who do certificate compliance. It, it, you know, either it fits in the box or it doesn't. And if there's know, but- one little thing off, you can't ask them. Well, perfect example. They want one million dollar combined single limit on auto. We write five hundred thousand with a million dollar umbrella because the client actually gets more coverage for less money due to how yeah. a certain carrier's ratings platform works. Okay. Right. So they are they have more insurance than what they're required to have. Right. But the people at the certificate compliance place short circuit they, they don't, they don't, see, they don't see the million. Insurance. Right. Yeah. So I, whatever. I Anyway, anyhow, that's uh, but to your point, this carrier really doesn't have a place in our agency after that, yeah. right? Yeah, anyhow, so that's, that's my soapbox about there you go. Sorry, you went through that. No, <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting too, though. I mean, when obviously you didn't start with 9.5 million in premium of clients in 1977, but how did you, I mean, was that all filing cabinets? I mean, I, I can remember actually seeing insurance policies being typed in a typewriter. 
like to 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 put the right information on the deck page in yeah. in person. We weren't quite in that situation, but we did have file cabinets. Um, we're one of the first agencies that I know of that went paperless, and it was hmm. uh, 1990, 1990-something. It was very early on. It had a, 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 a system called DocuStar um, that was a document imaging system back then because we wanted to eliminate the, the, the filing cabinets. Um, but no, uh, you know, things were manually rated. I mean, my, my first uh, 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 carrier that I had, everything was in a small you know, book about this size, you know, and you went through and you did factors. So if it was a commute to work as 1.1 times every one of the, the, the rates for the various coverages and the rest. So it was very manual. My, my math mind was a lot more efficient than <laughs> it is now with calculators. Sure. Um, but yeah, over time, I mean, uh, we, we kind of pushed our carriers to, to start providing us with comparative, um, you know, not even comparative rating, just rating on the computer versus manual. Um, and, um, you know, yeah, when I first started, we didn't have computers. I used a memory typewriter. That was how I communicated with clients. I, there was a, a, a I'm going to really show my age, but you would have a little cassette uh, tape recorder that you plug into the memory typewriter and you would record a letter that you were typing and uh, onto the cassette recorder. And then you could create another letter using that and then edit it as you, as you went along. It was that, and, and that was an Olympia typewriter cost $2,100 back in the day. And then and, have uh, it delivered on horseback. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks. I'm not quite that, but yeah. And um, yeah. And, and, and so to, to see the evolution and to see how much we're able to do on mobile devices now and, and um, how much we're able to deploy from our websites and the rest, it's just awesome. It's, it's very, very exciting. And I think it just, it tells you it, for us, at least it's, the message has been embrace the technology early um, and deploy it um, to the degree that that your customers accept it. If there's something, you know, there are some hits and misses. You know, sometimes the, the clients don't want to necessarily adapt to certain technology and they're at the end of the day, you know, the final say on it. But for the most part, if we keep on moving and keeping keep our minds open to whatever the next need of the client is, then we can, uh, you know, we can stay relevant in their minds and continue to compete with the the bigger guys. So what kind of tech are you guys using now inside the agency? I what was going to say, let me, let me ask that. I want to even make that more hyper-focused Yeah. because I think that, you know, I, I always go back to when I went to college, the internet really didn't exist yet. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just starting, but Email wasn't mainstream. We certainly couldn't go log on to a web browser and go to any website. People, a lot of companies didn't even have websites yet. So when my kids are hammering me about being an old man and not knowing technology and Snapchat and all this other garbage that they play with, you know, I tell them all the time, I'm more dangerous than they are because I've actually watched how technology gets developed. And so I can see trends as I see a need, I can start identifying ways that this potentially could be met. I'm interested in, you know, what the coolest piece of technology is that you have now that would have just been an absolute nightmare manual task for you to have to do oh when you started. Goodness. Oh my goodness. Uh, oh, there, there, there's just so many variables to that. Um, I mean, 
at, at a very basic level that everybody should have by now, but there's still agencies that don't, you know, kind of the integration of your agency management system and your comparative rater, um, you know, the time savings there alone are massive and huge. Um, then the integration of your agency management system with your various CRM systems so that you can you can drip on clients and, and send appropriate messaging at the appropriate time. Um, that's been important. I was one of the, you know, I was the first beta test for agency revolution for example, back a dec more than a decade ago. Um, so there are things like that. Um, and then, you know, as we've evolved, you know, certainly integrating um, a mobile app, uh, integrating uh, texting as a regular communication uh, style with our clients and, and using it very effectively. I mean, we're finding more and more that emails are ending up in people's um, spam folders. And so you can spend an hour putting together this beautiful, you know, multi-line proposal to a client, send it off. And if you don't follow up immediately and let them know that you've just sent it and to check your spam folder in case it's there, you know, you could have somebody who's thinking that you're totally inattentive to to what their request was. So we've been um, we've been building out sequence steps of how we're going to to touch the clients and and when it's critical to to be using text as another you know as another communication. And of course, I mean, then you can get into some of the issues you know like how you communicate with clients on social media, how you bring those communications into your website. Um, you know, we we have chatting available on our website. There's, there's just a lot out there and there's more that I'd like to move forward and, and do. I just, you know, th there's the bandwidth and there's also that shiny object syndrome that you mentioned, David, that, that uh, I need to pair a couple of items off of the, the Christmas tree of ornaments of technology before I add the next one. So when you're looking at technology to bring into the agency, I think this would be great advice for anybody who's younger, um, as an agency owner and, and younger, not necessarily by age, younger in tenure is what I'm talking about. Is mm -hmm. you're going through and looking at a piece of technology to put in your agency, what what are you doing to evaluate that? Uh, well, always trying to obviously get the the, the demo version of it. Um, I try to involve the critical people in the agency that would um, be the potential users because I've stepped away from being as customer facing, you know, I'm not doing the auto changes and, and all of the rest anymore. And, and so, you know, I need the people that are on the, the ground to look at it and say, you know, yes, this, this improves my life. Because again, if our team members are not seeing improvement in their, um, their life as a result of technology, then the, it's just going to sit and, and be used. And, um, and then um, I think, you know, something that takes a lot of time and sometimes you can really go down some rabbit holes, but um, being willing to spend a little time on, on the various, um, uh, whether it's a Facebook group or the various platforms where you can find other users of that specific um, um, vendor and ask questions and say, you know, how are you guys doing? A lot of the things that we do today have been vetted by, you know, seeing what others' experience have been. And the times that I've made the mistakes on the technology been the times that I've done the demo and it's like, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. Sign me up because there's a one day only special on it. Mm -hmm. And come to find that it, um, a, a lot of the promises are aspirational and not necessarily practical right now today. 
I agree. I mean, getting opinions from other agents that have used the project um, products is huge because the technology companies are typically not going to be standing there saying, oh, by the way, there's this one glitch that if you Mm -hmm. have this, well, guess what? I'll always have that glitch, right? (laughs) I mean, there's, there's a hundred percent chance that if I make that purchase, it's going to be a problem. And I think, again, social media has definitely helped that. We all have forums that we can talk in and go back and forth with each other. And, and get relatively good information. You know, not everything that comes out is is valuable or is going to be applicable to, to my agency. My agency is a completely different shape, size, you know, Absolutely. than what yours is. But if you have a VoIP system that doesn't communicate with your CRM or your agency management system like it should, and I'm looking at going out and getting a new VoIP system, I'd like to know what your problems have been. Exactly. Before I do that, because it's, you know, the, the the pain of changing is is significant in many cases, and especially the longer that you've been where you're at, right? So sure. we started with Hawksoft is mm-hmm. our agency management system. I doubt I ever leave mm-hmm. because I'm not going to be one of these people who um, has to deal with a huge data migration. I just don't have the patience and tolerance for it. So. I, we, we use our agency management system very sparingly. That is not a knock on Hawksoft at all. Mm-hmm. It's just my philosophy is that I'm going to run my company like it's a sales organization. We'll mm-hmm. do all of the things we need to do to have the housekeeping correct on the insurance transactions by having the AMS. But up until we sell an insurance product, I'm going to run everything out of HubSpot, which is my CRM, because mm-hmm. that's what you do as a sales organization. You have the ability to organize, you know, information, do drip campaigns, do some smart response stuff and things like that. That's one reason we've been able to scale. But um, I can't imagine having to go through the headache of leaving. You know, yeah. I've got good friends that are involved in Neon. You know, they want me to, to look at doing Neon. And I look at it and it's an awesome tool. But I go back and I say... Our retention's like 99%. What am I going to, you know, what am I going to get from going to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, exactly. and I'll be a great champion for your product. I'll be a mouthpiece for it. And if you were two years earlier, I'd probably have it. But mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where I, I can't, the, 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 the pain to change is greater than the pain to remain the same. I think that's the way it is with a lot of technology products. And until we figure out a way to make that part of it easier, it's going to continue to be a struggle for these vendors. Enough technology. You have had an agency in Everett, Washington since 1977. You can't do that without taking care of the three C's that you just mentioned. So I'm very interested in your culture, in your team members. I want you to talk a little bit about that first, and then we'll go into some of the stuff that you guys are doing in the community. So help me out. What would you like to know about the team members? Talk talk about your culture. I mean- You don't go to work. I mean, you, you have not stopped smiling the entire time we've been talking. So I have to believe that if I were to take that camera that I'm looking at and pan down the hallway, I'm going to see other smiles in there because it's a reflection of your leadership. What do you do for the culture of your agency? How has that been a conscious focus of yours as the leader of the organization? And how do you what, what proactive measures do you as the leader take to make sure that that culture is where it needs to be? Well, you know, um, COVID has actually introduced some interesting challenges to that whole culture issue. And so I feel blessed that we've had a team that um, had 
been built up and 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 that has been retained to a point where when COVID hit, it was just a matter of moving everybody home. Uh, one of the things that we didn't talk about yet, but you know, basically on the first week of March, um, our, the first COVID case that hit the U.S. was about five miles from my office. And so um, first week in March, uh, we moved everybody home in a day and they've been there since. I'm at the office uh, every day just to kind of pull down the fort and you know, to send the random facts that some crazy lender wants instead of an email or whatever. But beyond that, you know, things are, um, everybody is working from home. And one of the ways that we've been able to keep the culture alive um, in that very difficult separated set of circumstances is um, staying connected. We'd always had team meetings, for example, um, but uh, and they were always once a week and and uh, you know pretty much scheduled so that everybody could participate. We now do two um, Zoom calls. One is more um, agency and learning focused. Uh, with sharing from a number of the members of the team, not just from me. And the second is much more fun. And that's delegated to somebody who, you know, comes up with with interesting things to to kind of keep people going. Um, we've we've just always valued the team. And my goal is to um, make sure that every person that joins the team, you know, has the opportunity to grow to whatever level professionally they want. So we'll support them, obviously, with all of the continuing education, but more importantly, you know, try to encourage them, see their strengths and try to encourage them to stretch a bit more and and move into a, a position that will result, you know, result in more of a long tenured career and a, certainly a more a profitable career to them. Um, with nine people, actually, it's eight and a half because our, our marketing uh, communications director is is half time. So with um, with eight and a half people, and that includes me, and I'm just kind of pulling the levers at times. I'm not actually client facing. They're they're working really hard um, all the time and um, and handling a, a great amount of volume, but they're. Um, they, you know, we have a reward system from a compensation standpoint that um, tries to um, reward them for the behaviors that that we hope to do for the goals that as a team we set, whether that's including, you know, increasing um, the amount of cross sales, the upgrades, the uh, the Google reviews, whatever. Um, and then we celebrate those. And um, we also look for people with good hearts, you know, people that um, that do embrace the community um, uh, activities uh, and and want to be a part of the the things that we do as a, a team to give back to the community. And so we've been really blessed. I mean, my most of our team has been with us over five years. I mentioned that we were uh, earlier before we got on the call that we we're celebrating Nick Pembroke's, our VP, his 20th anniversary with the agency um, this year. But I've got awesome. several team members that are over uh, over 10 and 15. And um, they and then we've got some younger team members that have joined us, but they've um, we've had success with them staying as well and um, and, and embracing and, and growing in their roles. So leading directly from culture into community, because yeah. that actually is part of your culture. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that and, and why that's so important to you and some of the things that you guys are doing. And listen, I want to make sure you understand, I'm not asking you to brag because people that by and large that are very, very community involved and they're doing the right things, 
they get a little weird when you ask them to talk about it. Okay. And so I don't, I don't want you to get weird because this isn't you bragging. This is really more of you educating our peer group and our colleagues on some things that you're doing in the hopes that maybe they hear this and say, you know what, that would be something easy for us to implement in our agency. I mean, we're going to be talking to Chris Paradiso this afternoon. I can name at least a half a dozen agencies that are doing a bike program that Chris started years ago. You know, we talk actually in, and Kyle doesn't even know this, but that's the bike program Bob Klinger's doing. Yeah. When, we had, when we had Klinger on months ago and he was talking about how they do that, Chris is actually the one who started that. So nice. Um, I'm interested in hearing some of that stuff and I want you to camp out here for a little bit, but don't make it weird. You're not bragging. You're simply educating. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, because I think what we do, we just do because we enjoy it and, and it's right for our community. Um, you know, just kind of one of the aha moments that I had back and this wasn't at the very beginning of the agency. I wish it had been is more, you know, a couple decades in, uh, where I realized that, um, if we could find a way to spend our marketing dollars on on two things, basically educating and uh, supporting our clients, and um, and then supporting our our community and um, doing the things that improve life in the community, that that's really all that we needed to do to continue to grow organically, and um, it, it kind of stems from the thought that uh, as an agency in we're in a middle-class town. We're not in a high net worth area, but um, you know we have the combination of Boeing engineers, but also line workers, and you know just a combination of of um, of um, economic strata in our agency or in our community. Um, our agency can only be as strong as um, the people in our community are strong. And so we can't grow if we're not providing job opportunities within um, within the community, if we're not helping to uplift the schools, if we're not helping to um, to do the things for those um, that the, the shelters and some of the, are the areas, you know, just the things that provide a quality of life that attract people and keep people and help them to 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 move forward in their own lives. So. To that end, we just started doing some things, and um, and some of them were were just one of the things I would say with what we do now is that um, it didn't all start out like oh, we're going to do you know twelve events a year or fifteen events a year. It started with one idea, and we implemented that, and then the next year, oh, that first one was easy enough to to accomplish. We know we're going to do it again, but we know how to do that. That's going to take you know a, a a small fraction of the time that it took last year. Now let's add another idea and, and another idea. So before COVID hit, I mean, we had events going pretty much every other week at least during the summertime. Um, some in partnership with um, different organizations within the community, our Parks and Rec Department, for example, we became a lead sponsor for Cinema Under the Stars, which was a um, uh, outdoor family movie series. Um, that's held every Friday night throughout the summer for families. It's free. And we as a team would go and uh, kind of choose gifts that were for the kids that were um, uh, kind of followed the theme of whatever the movie was. And, um, and you know, for example, when the movie Frozen hit town and, and uh, we had that, we had over 1,500 people. Wow. 
in a park uh, watching that silly movie, not silly movie, but that, that movie. And, um, and, and it wasn't that we were necessarily bringing clients into the agency that night from that, that, that interaction, but it was something that people heard that we were doing and it, it helped inform their opinion of our agency. And so, um, you know, we, we have found that partnerships with different organizations uh, with the community events helps a lot because you don't have to be the hundred percent um, uh, organizer. You don't, I don't have to set up the movie screen. The parks department does that, but, but that, it, this event wouldn't happen unless they had our support and sponsorship and our, our, Publicity. I mean, a lot of the things that we do too, it helps the organization because we can publicize it. So we've done things. Um, I mean, I don't know how much you want me to ramble on, but I mean, we've done Mud Strut, which is our, our community's uh, day long event celebrating all things canine. And, the, um, and it's at a local park and it benefits the animal shelter. And we kind of pivoted in, during COVID from that to um, doing a virtual. Um, a puppy toy drive on camera <laughs> and a Facebook live event. Um, we've done uh, a number of fun runs. Nick Pembroke in our office is a, is a huge runner. And so uh, anything that we can find that is a, a community uh, fun run uh, or, um, you know, that is a fundraiser for an organization, we've put together dodgeball teams and invited our clients and our, our vendors uh, to join our teams uh, to um, benefit the YMCA. Um, we, um, we were, uh, the, as far as I know, and this is what is so wonderful about this organization, this family of agents that, that we all know and love. So everybody knows about Chris Paradiso and his flag exchange, right? Well, that flag exchange started in our agency back a few years before Chris heard about it. And ours was very simple. Chris has taken it to just amazing levels, but ours was fairly simple. We just um, told people that around flag day, please bring in your worn and tattered flag and we will exchange for a new one. And we will work with the Boy Scouts to respectfully dispose of the old flags. And that's pretty much what we did. We publicized it on our video sign out front and, and in our newsletter and all of the rest, but that's pretty much what we did. Chris heard about it at, at, at one of these agency events. And, you know, Chris being the amazing patriot that he is, he took it to a completely different level and he has spread the news of, of, um, you know, how to do a flag exchange, um, to such such a much you know amazing letter, level than I never could have, so um, those are the kinds of things that uh, you know just one little idea can spark somebody else to take it and do much much more. Um, one thing I'd like to share with you, if you don't mind, and you can decide whether it's it's worthy to to share or not, is is uh, food for our future. And this has been our COVID initiative. Uh, one of our um, one of our referral we do give we have a referral rewards program where every referral that we receive from a client or a you know a VIP in the agency um, we donate twenty five dollars to a nonprofit of the quarter and we choose four nonprofits in our community to um, to work with each year. One of our nonprofit partners is Cocoon House, which is a, a shelter for homeless teens. And um, we heard that they were having some challenges with COVID in that their teens were normally fed breakfast and lunch, at least, at 
um, at school, at high school. They were, you know, they would, they were keeping them in high school. So mm-hmm. um, there, when COVID hit, their, um, their food budget was decimated. Their staffing was challenged because now all of a sudden the counselors who were so needed just to be working with these kids, keeping them in school, needed to plan more meals and they needed to, you know, be cooks and all of the rest. And the nonprofit and church organizations that had been bringing home cooked meals to them um, as just part of their outreach couldn't do that anymore because of the health regulations. So they were in a, a world of hurt. And then our uh, local family-owned restaurants in town were also just really struggling. When March and April and May were hitting and they were closed down, they were trying to figure out how to do takeout. So we were lucky enough to just think about these two constituencies and put together Food for Our Future, which was our commitment as an agency to uh, deliver uh, Wednesday night dinners to the Cocoon House residents and staff every Wednesday um, and all purchased from uh, our local family restaurants. And so we mixed it up. We, we chose a lot of the smaller restaurants where, you know, it really would make a difference. And the kids would give their feedback of what food they wanted to see the next week and the rest. And the cool thing that happens, and I think that that's really what community is all about. It's not about what Claudia or McLean Insurance decides to do. It's really what that starts in the community. So what happened was one of our water restoration vendors heard about it and he said, we want to be a part of it too. Can we take some of those Wednesdays? And then our telecom uh, IT guy heard about it and he asked to take on some Wednesdays. And one of our carriers um, picked up the, the the bill for a couple of um, Wednesday dinners. And then our clients started stepping in and one said, I want to bring dinner. I want to bring dessert one of these days. And another said, I want to bring a whole meal. You know, I want to uh, purchase the whole meal. You can deliver it, but I'll, I'll purchase it. And it's just been so, um, it's just been so heartwarming to see how the community heard about something and said, I can do that too. It's a small thing. It's a really small thing in the whole spectrum of, of what is needed right now, but just doing one thing leads to somebody else doing more. And um, I think we're on our, we'll be on our 30th week coming up here of just bringing Wednesday dinners. And I, you know, how this will morph as COVID, you know, kind of hopefully leaves us. Um, I'm not sure, but I know that food food for our future will always be in our future, maybe just in some other way. You know, you don't even think about some of this stuff, do you? Like, I never would have thought of that. And it's right. it's great that you're able to meet that need. There's so many places out there that are not-for-profits that do so much good that have been affected by this just because of the way that they can receive their, you know, contributions, whether that be monetary or otherwise. But also the needs have been magnified. I mean, I can you, – you, if you're used to working with um, – youths that are getting two of their three meals provided for them at school every day. And now all of a sudden yeah. we're on the hook for three, out of, three out of three that will deplete, especially if it's teenagers, that'll deplete your resources extremely quickly. That's right. So that's awesome that you've been able to, um, to step in and do that. We talked a little bit about perpetuation. Yeah. Talk, talk something, talk about that. I'm, I'm interested in getting in your head just a little bit because Having an agency that you've owned from the beginning, from scratch, is very, very personal. Obviously, you started it. 
And you have to figure out at some point that I'm not going to be here forever. I mean, at least that's how I think, right? And, Absolutely. Um, I, I'm interested in in how how all of that's broken down, how you identified, how you're going to handle that, what that looks like. If you have formalized stuff in place, because um, I think that's one of the issues. And let me let me give you some framework for why I'm answering the question, asking the question. I don't want you to think, hey, uh, by the way. Nick slid me a 20 on the side and said, no, make no, sure you no, ask no, for this. No, no. Here. No, that, that's not it at all. I think it's a place that agency principals don't spend enough time focusing on, right? Mm -hmm. They don't. And what I mean by that is I'm one of these people that I look at the end and work my way back. So I've already thought about all of this. I already have all of my plans in place for this. And so I'm making sure that my daily activities match what need to happen in order for me to achieve the final objective that's already been identified. You didn't go in in 1977 thinking that way. I've learned from a lot of people who have made a lot of mistakes or didn't think about stuff. And that's one of the reasons why I've approached it the way that I have. I'm just interested in your thoughts because at some point you're going to not want to have to even come in and do what you're doing right now. How do you tackle that? Yeah. Well, I, I admire your perspective and you're right. I, I think um, there's a lot of us that just didn't really think about, I mean, we looked at, at um, what we were doing as a way to help our clients and to put food on the table for our families, right? And as long as that was happening, and then for me, as we added team members, my, my obligation expanded beyond just taking care of my family to taking care of their families mm -hmm. and giving them opportunities, right? So for a long time, that's been the focus. Now, I've been really, truly blessed to have um, Nick be a part of the team and want to remain a part of the team. Uh, and so back, you know, maybe I want to say five years ago, we started having some conversations. You know, I'm not going to live forever. Is, you know, is this something that you would have an interest in perpetuating? Because if so, let's start figuring out how to do that. I don't know how to do that, but let's start talking about it. And if it's not, then, then I need to, you know, then I need to think about what the other options are, if you will. And, uh, and Nick expressed an interest. And so we've gone through um, a number of different steps. He's, um, he's now vice president and has um, a, a small percentage of interest in the agency. Um, and um, going forward, um, probably within the next three years, um, we will transition to um, to his ownership of the agency. Um, but um, for agents that don't have a Nick, you know that the, and 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 the blessing for me of of it being somebody internally is that I feel that Nick, uh, you know, embraces and understands the the culture and what's important in terms of taking care of the the team that has brought us to this this successful you know place and the community and the customers too um i i worry about you know if i had to sell to an outside um conglomerating type agency what would happen to those team members what would happen to the clients and so um 
you know, my blessing is that Nick is in a position where he wants to do this. His wife has actually uh, joined the team as our communications director now. So she's getting uh, a greater sense of what our industry is all about. Hopefully she'll continue to, <laughs> to like the industry. And, um, and, and then we can plan um, the transition COVID. This was supposed to be the year of the first major, you know, kind of handoff of, of some of the responsibilities and um, COVID just kind of changed things. But 2021 and beyond will be the, the point where, you know, I, I still love this industry as much as the day that I got into it. And so selfishly, I'd love to be continuing to do what I do for a long, long time. But realistically, I mentioned how important I thought it was that I need to protect the team. And if it's selfish of me, if I don't think about what will happen when I can't be here every day, because that leaves the team vulnerable. And so that's why we have to move forward with, with a, a plan that will, you know, my goal would be that at some point, um, clients won't even notice that I'm not here. You know, my goal is that um, just everything continues in a way, obviously with Nick's additional, you know, input and slant on things, which I really value. And I look, you know, I really rely on him and on, on Megan to say, okay, you know, Hey, here's, here's a, a thing we're thinking about. Does, would this resonate with your circle of friends? Because they're our future clients, right? Mm -hmm. clients. So we need to be looking forward and doing things the way Nick and Megan it would resonate with them and their friends. Um, but I also, um, you know, I, I just want, I, I want it to be so smooth that nobody knows that I've gone. <laughs> if that makes sense. It does. And it's probably one of the most selfless comments that I've heard. The fact that you're so worried about making sure the team itself is taken care of and not disrupted that you're looking at this stuff proactively to avoid that happening. I mean, I think I can probably count on one hand and not even need all my fingers, the number of people I know that would be able to. Truthfully, I probably know more than that because I try and surround myself with the right people. But, you know, work with me here. There's not a lot of people out there that think that way. And I think, you know, it, there are very few things that I feel like are problems in our industry. That's one of them. I, I, I think that one of the problems is, that people that are in your shoes or my shoes that have gone out, they've started an AGC from scratch. Yes, there, there are some headaches and some heartaches that come with that. It's not all rainbows and unicorns, you know, from the second you start your agency. And because of that, anybody who comes in, and I'm not saying this is how I think, and I certainly know it's not the way that you think. This is just perception after hundreds of conversations with people they view it as if they are solely responsible for the success of the company. Mm, yeah. And you cannot think that way. You cannot think that way. And if you look, if you look at any, any of the major, what I would say are hot buttons or issues in, in an agency, that's one of them. Another one of them is producers who think that they're solely responsible for the success of an agency because they're out quoting and, and binding business or service people who think they're responsible for the success of the agency because they're the ones that keep the business once the producers quit screwing around and bring it in. And I mean, when it comes back to it, if everybody, you know, just gave, you know, selflessly and didn't have their own agenda in mind, it would be so much smoother. You wouldn't have to deal with any of that stuff. But one of my fears 
for the generation that's getting ready to have to hit perpetuation plans is they don't have one. I think there's a lot of businesses that are just going to, they're, they're going to go away and they're going to go away because they end up having to sell because that's the only option they have. And they're going to die on the vine for the very reason that you just said. These conglomerates that are coming in and offering all this money for books of businesses and agencies, they're never going to care for your clients the way that you care for your clients. It's just not going to happen. I don't care how flowery of a picture they paint. That's not why they're buying your agency. And I think that's a huge disconnect. And it's not good for the community either. I mean, you know, when you think about it, when things like that happen, um, you know, and I think these higher valuations that have been rampant for the last number of years really have hurt because on the one hand, somebody is looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, I could get X times. And, you know, this is the huge payday that, you know, all of these years I've put into, but those years have been collaborations with all of those people you mentioned, David, you know, it's the, it's been the people that produce and serve and who have, you know, have made the agency what it is. And um, if the, if agencies sell for just the highest dollar without a consideration for um, the employees or for the community, what will happen is that community all of a sudden doesn't have an independent agency option there, or it's one that is much more focused uh, externally rather than, you know, on the community. And we've seen that happen. I mean, when I first, you know, came to town, there weren't many female agency owners. In fact, I think I was the first of the female independent agency I, owners. I wasn't even going to, yeah, I wasn't even going to go there. I took, <laughs> I took that as a given. I mean, I, I, we're, we're, we have enough of a problem right now, yeah. you know, in 2020, with not having it. enough. It is, it's yeah. getting better, but <laughs> That's a whole, to me, that's a whole podcast episode yeah. on its own of what's it like starting a business as a female in 1977. I mean, yeah. we could go for days on that. But the thing that I think about is what kind of a hole is created when private equity comes in and there isn't a place for 1,500 people to go watch Frozen in the Park anymore exactly. because that's an expense exactly. that's not... It's it, you can't get an ROI on it directly, you you know, mm-hmm. and that and and some of these community events that's the issue, and yet it makes the community stronger in the process, right? And so um, yeah, it's it, it, I I totally agree with you, and I just I I would if I had all the time in the world, what I would be doing is journaling. Um, what we're trying to accomplish, because I think you're right. There are a number of agencies that if they could perpetuate internally, if that younger person in the office could actually see the roadmap that could be followed to take over the agency. And if the, the um, agency principal could realize that you are able to get a very fair settlement on your, your agency, you may, do some self-financing, you know, you may have to, you know, do, do some special, you know, tricks to, to accomplish it. But at the end of the day, there are ways that this can be done. It just, it, as the values get higher, it's been much more problematic. And I know of an agency, in fact, one of our, our best team members um, joined our agency a while back because um, the agency that she thought it was a family agency that she thought would ultimately be something that she would perpetuate uh, ended up going selling to a bank, and all of a sudden now you know well where where do I fit in that that equation right? Yeah. So um, I and and we run the risk as agency you know like even if 
somebody is 20 years or 15 years younger than I am, and they're running an agency with some talent that are that is younger than they are, um, you run the risk, and we've seen that, of that talent saying, well, I better just go form my own agency, right? Mm-hmm. As because I don't know when or if there'll be an opportunity for me here. And I think, so I would, you know, I would love to find that coach out there <laughs> that, um, that actually can walk some of us through it. I mean, the aging of the, of the um, ownership of independent agencies has never been higher. I mean, it's just the number is, is scary and we've got to do something before people just start dying off. Well, and I think the other part of the problem that's going to be compounded is the fact that those ridiculous valuations are not going to continue. So mm-hmm. as the as the agency principal population continues to get older and older, they're running the risk of not being able to get nearly the money that they may think they have the ability to get based on what's going on right now. I mean, I would urge anybody and everybody, if you've not thought about this or not at least sat down with your team to discuss it, you probably need to sooner than later. Yeah. I'm on a kick right now where I, I, I say one of the biggest issues that agency, agency principals have is we're more worried about controlling than we are collaborating. Bingo. And that's, that's that's a big problem, you know. I don't have I don't have that issue. I mean, there's certain things in the agency I have to control. I mean, it's just it has to be done. I have to control the bank account. I'm the only one who signs on it, mm-hmm. right? So right. that falls on my lap. But anything else like technology or doing demos or things like that, I want to try and have as many people included in those decisions as I can. And you actually validated that thought process earlier when you were talking about including people that are going to be the end users in it as well. I just don't understand why we can't be more open-minded to other people's points of view. It's just, it's a really, really weird dynamic. And I don't know that I see it in, in a lot of other industries as evident as what I see it in ours right mm-hmm. now. And that is figurehead has to be in control you know, it's going to be their way or the highway. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to open the floor in sales meeting and act and actively listen to what people have to say as far as feedback or recommendations or whatever else. And the chance of implementation slim and none. I mean, it's just, you're not going to see that. And so I, I just, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. I mean, to me, if I had to look at it, I think I honestly think that's probably, and I don't, I might get railroaded for this. I don't think that I will though, because my heart's in the right place. I think that the aging population is probably a bigger issue. It's probably past the females in leadership position, because I think that we're starting to stabilize that a little bit. I'm not saying that there's equality because I don't think that that's there, but I do think that, that enough people are making some noise that people are paying attention and a lot of things are going in the right direction. So I'm not saying put that on autopilot. I'm just saying that, you know, you need to keep that one on the back burner on the warmer and make sure you're keeping an eye on it. But this this issue of the aging agency principle, I think, is one that's going to come back to bite a lot of people. And listen, if I wanted to be cold hearted and opportunist, I would tell you I'm, I'm not going to be the one, you know, leading that parade. I'll be sitting back waiting to make some acquisitions if it makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, because I will, and I do think it's important that if it's perpetuated, it's perpetuated correctly. I don't know how you could bring, I could not come into your agency 
I could if I worked really, really hard at it, okay? But I couldn't come in there and replicate what you've done. I would be able to continue some of the same things that you're doing, but my mind won't let me operate that way. I'm always going to have my own spin that I want to put on it. And, you know, that's what makes all of us unique. Yeah. Right. But I don't know how you could ever do, how you could ever get your agency to perpetuate the way you wanted to, unless you do your best to keep it in the family. Yeah. Well, and by family, I mean your team. Yeah. With the team. Yeah. One of the other things to to consider when you're talking about perpetuation is that um, if and and we have spent money on perpetuation specialists and valuation specialists to try to just wrap our head around what all this involves. And we're a pretty simple agency in that we're personal lines. It shouldn't be that difficult, but you know it's still you know it, it still makes sense to get the experts in. One of the things that the experts will experts will tell you is that you have to you have to dress your agency up for perpetuation, right? You have to get your your um, your numbers in place. You've got to cut back on all of those extraneous expenses so that you look super super profitable to the you know to the investors that are mm-hmm. going to be buying the agency. I get that, but when when agency principals have that as their goal, um, then what happens? Staff is not compensated as generously as maybe you could afford to do that. Um, certainly the community uh, support uh, and philanthropy that an agency has the capability to do, and I think historically our industry has done, gets cut. I mean, I remember sitting down with the valuation specialist and he was looking at the bottom line numbers and I'm feeling very comfortable. I mean, I have, you know, whatever I need, I, I can buy, but I'm not, I don't have huge uh, needs in terms of expensive things. And I, he was looking at that and I'm going, well, yeah, I mean, I don't have to, I don't have to have this line item or this item or this item or this item. It would change who the agency is, but I don't need to have it if what you want me to do is just get to a, a bottom line that, that looks super profitable. And so what I worry about, you know, is that some of these agencies that only see the path as being one of selling to you know, to the, the larger interests, they're doing that already. And, and again, that's compromising what it, agencies have tremendous power to do good. You know, we, we, because we don't have a high, you know, when I go to a company, I ask for money, the bureaucracy that you have to go through to get a $500 donation is like ridiculous, right? If somebody comes to me and they need $500 or something, I can make that decision right on the spot. You know, yeah, do you want cash, check, or charge? I mean, do you yeah. have Venmo? I mean, how can I get to your five hundred? You, right? You know, are you hey. still here? What are you waiting for? I said it ten seconds ago. <laughs> exactly, precisely. And so, we as agency owners in our communities have have this tremendous gift um, and blessing of being able to do good um, when where, wherever it's needed, wherever we perceive the the need is it should be and. Um, and I would really be sad if that was lost, you know, in, in future generations, simply because either the carriers decide that they need much higher volume uh, from everybody and, you know, you're cut out because of that or because, you know, agency owners just can't find the people to perpetuate. I'll tell you this. I came from running grocery stores, which is high volume, low yeah. margin. Yeah. We are in a much different environment. And I'm going to make a comment. I'll probably get kicked for this one too, but it is what it is. You're on a roll, dude. Boy, I know. I am. I'm really stepping out of my comfort zone. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that there's enough gross margin in our business that we can be sloppy operators. You know what I mean? 
and we and what I mean by that is I shouldn't say sloppy. We have the ability to lead more with our heart than a lot of other industries Bingo. do. Bingo. Because right. we have we have we do have the ability to earn a really good living. And we don't have to like could money be missing from my organization and I don't know about it right now? It absolutely could. There's a hundred percent chance that there that I could not have I could have missed something in a reconciliation or you know, I didn't get a report that I needed to be able to get it uh, over to, to my CFO to match everything up. But but what I mean by that is if I could be missing like 1500 bucks just because we missed something like that, I could be missing 1500 bucks that I intentionally gave to something in the community. Mm-hmm. And we have that flexibility. There's not a lot of other people who have that, who have that flexibility, whether they work for, you know, a publicly traded company or even a, even a private business, it's just not there. There's too much pressure. So, you know, I think that um, I'm a firm believer in having an abundance mindset. I think that the more you give, the more you want to give and the more you end up producing, not just in yourself, but in other people. And we were talking about it on the last um, podcast we did with Daniel Song. Mm. And I told him, I said, you know, yeah, I said, I, I like, I liken it to, playing baseball. You know, I, I hit a home run. I feel great about it, but I never will feel as good as what I felt like the first time my son hit a home run. And I, I get as much or more off, like Kyle, if Kyle went out and closed an account today, I'd be happier for him than I would be for myself. If I went out and closed the same account, I because I want to see these guys succeed. I, I truly want to see them succeed. I need them to succeed because I do have a perpetuation. <laughs> so maybe I'm not as selfless as I as I think I am, but you know, I just think that that people get put into positions in leadership because they end up where they need to be because of the gifts that they've been given to give to other people and to give to the industry. And you know, we've spent an hour with you. It was extremely obvious to me from the very second we started talking, why you've had an agency since 1977, why you have a team of people that want to be on that team and will produce with you and for you, why your community values and respects you so much. And I'm, I'm going to close this out by giving you the floor to let people know how to get in touch with you. But before I do that, I just want to tell you very, very sincerely, thank you for being such a great example of what an agency principal should be and what an agency should be in the communities that they serve. Serve being the key word, people. We're not here to sell. We're here to serve. And if you can get that mindset right, you'll never have to worry about the third S. You have your three C's. I'm going to give you a a three S's, which is success. I love it. The floor is yours. How do they find you? Oh, thank you. Thank you, David and and Kyle, for having me today. I really appreciate it. I can be reached any number of ways. Um, I'm on, uh, obviously, LinkedIn, Facebook, Claudia McLean, um, and certainly they can uh, email me at claudia at autohomeboat.com our website or, or text me, uh, through our website. By the way, how much is that domain worth? <laughs> you don't need a perpetuation plan. Just sell that thing to progressive or somebody else. I saw that domain and I'm thinking to myself, I should have brought that up when we were talking about adopting technology because you, 
you didn't buy that last year, I can promise you. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, and, it, and it, it was just out of practicality that McLean as a last name can be spelled so many different ways. And uh, I just started searching for a name. And it was, you know, I mean, one of the benefits of the gray hair is that I've been doing it long enough. That was early on. And I just was able to get autohomeboat.com. And um, it, it, that's the way it's been since. I that's actually, awesome. there is McLean Insurance also, but people will misspell it. So the website and everything is, is autohomeboat.com. So Claudia at autohomeboat.com. Feel free to email, text, anything I love. You know, I'm at that stage in my career now where I absolutely love doing anything I can to uplift our distribution channel and to help other agents succeed. Um, and so uh, happy to help in any way I can. People, you better reach out to her. If you don't, I will backhand you so fast you won't know what hits you. Claudia, thank you for being generous with your time with us today. Thank you, thank you for giving to the community. Truly a pleasure. I'm going to go ahead and step out on a limb and speak for Kyle and just say both of us are better people for having spent this last hour with you. We sincerely appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Claudia. Thank you. You guys are so kind. Love you. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.